Well, it was Valentine's this last week, guys, in case you didn't make it. And um, thinking about Valentine's made me think about like one of Lori's and my first dates. Some of you heard the story. Um, we were students on campus up in St. Paul, Minnesota area at Bethel College, now Bethel University. And there was this tradition there that once, once a year uh, there was this turnabout. It was called Nick Dog. So I, I remember that, uh, that day when Nick Dog was kind of formally, officially launched. And I went down to my P.O. box and, and I pulled out some mail and, and there was this little envelope there. And it was, um, it was this note from somebody. I assumed the handwriting was from a girl. And, and this note gave me a clue that I was supposed to go to the library and check out a reference book. And so I thought, well, this is kind of fun. You know, I'm on this little chase here, going through this little treasure hunt. And I go check out the book. And there, as I open up the book, there's another clue. Open up the clue, and I read it, and I realized, oh, I need to go find the campus pastor because the campus pastor, I think, has the next clue. And I saw Pastor Jim Spicklemeyer, and he pulled out a, another clue out of his pocket. I go, this, this is kind of cool. And I, I, but I still don't know what it is, right, because there's, there's nobody's name on it, or, or at least it appears like there's nobody's name on it. And so I, I get the clue, and, and this time I'm supposed to go to the kitchen. Now I'm really interested, like, okay, the kitchen, maybe there's some food with this next clue. Sure enough, there's this plate of food. And the last clue said, meet me at the second lamppost tonight at 10 o'clock. I'm thinking, wow, wow. But again, there was no name on it. I, I didn't recognize the handwriting, but I knew exactly who it was from. I knew these clues were written by Lori Peterson. I, I told you her name was nowhere on it. I didn't recognize her handwriting, but there was a clue in the clues. Bubble yum wrappers. Grape bubble yum wrappers. Now, what I knew about Lori is whenever I saw her, she was chewing great bubble yum. And she wanted me to know in the detail that who these clues were from. And there was no mistaking it. So when I was out there at 10 o'clock at night with my buddy Scott, who got the same kind of clues from some other girl named Cheryl, who was Lori's roommate, I was sure that Lori would be the person meeting me at the lamppost, and I was not disappointed. <laughs> now, why do I tell you this matter of the clue. Because it reminds me a lot about what's going on in our text tonight. So grab your Bible. If you didn't grab one, if you didn't bring one, grab one from the chair in front of you and turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. You'll find it on page 717. And as we're reading through this account, now remember we're following Christ to the cross. So last week we talked about how the cross was no surprise. It was by design. Jesus went to the cross not as an accident, but as the plan and will of God. So here we are, the Sunday now before Easter, all right? And we're finding him going down into Jerusalem. So here's our text for us in Mark chapter 11. Read along with me silently as I read it out loud. Verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent to his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. 
they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, I don't know if you've found the detail yet, but there's a detail in here that's helping us understand who Jesus is. Now, in case you missed it, turn just a little bit to your right. Go a couple books over to John. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, reading at verse 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John 12. We'll pick it up in verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written. Do not be afraid, O daughters of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. All right, I hope you're figuring out what the sign is. The sign that made it clear who these clues were from was the, was the great bubble yum rapper. That's Lori. The, the clue here in the text is, anybody get it? What is it? It's kind of a trick question, huh? It's the donkey. It's the colt. I mean, think about it. There's 10 verses. Go back to Mark. There's 10 verses talking about Jesus' grand entrance into Jerusalem. And the first seven in Mark's account and in Matthew's account and in Luke's account all have to do with the details that concern a donkey's colt. And you go, what's the deal? What's the deal with that? What is the deal with the donkey's colt? Think about this. There's more about the donkey in Mark's gospel than there is about Jesus prophesying about his soon impending death and resurrection. There's more stuff on the donkey's colt than on what we would say was at the heart of the gospel. And so we ask ourselves, what's the deal with the detail of the donkey? Why seven verses about the donkey? And it's because God wants us to know who Jesus is. He is the promised king, the savior that God has promised from as far back as the early pages of the Bible, from the very beginnings of his dealings with his people. He didn't want us to miss it. He's in the details. Wow, is he in the details. He's in the details of where to find it, and it's in the village ahead. It's right when you enter it. That's where you'll find it. You're going to find this cult that no one's ever ridden. Why was that important, that it was a a cult that no one had ever written? Is it because 
Jesus is on this unique mission as he's coming to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the whole world. And so this would be a special animal set apart for one purpose alone, and that is to bring God's son into the city of David. Or was it because this king comes as the prince of peace and he would ride even a donkey who's never had someone riding on his back and show that he can even bring peace to this animal who normally would be very unsettled and bucking and trying to get this guy off of his back. We don't know why, but God's in the details. Where they're going to find him, exactly where in the city, what kind of an animal. It's the cult of a donkey, one who's never been ridden. And what are they to do? They're to untie it, to bring it here. And then there's what happens if somebody asks. Here's what you say. The Lord has need of it, and we'll get it back to you quickly. Details. Details. Why all the details? Well, first, as we've already said, to help us understand that Jesus is the promised king. Because the promises of old associated the king and a cult. You go back to Genesis chapter 49. The setting here is Jacob blessing his sons in Egypt on his deathbed. And he comes to his son Judah and he gives this prophecy. prophecy. The scepter will not depart from Judah, Jacob said, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. He's saying from this tribe of Judah, there's going to be a king. The kings are going to come from Judah. And the scepter is going to be in Judah's hand until it's given to the one to whom all the nations will bow. The obedience of the nations will be his. And what does it say then in verse 11 about this coming king? He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt, to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. The prosperity of this coming king will be such that the wine will flow like water. So you'll do your laundry in wine because there's so much of it. Prosperity. How interesting to remember what Jesus' first miracle was. Do you remember? He turned the water into what? Into wine. So from the very beginnings of prophecy in the Old Testament, as far back as Moses, he tells us that this coming king will have something to do with a donkey and a colt as he brings in this prosperous new kingdom. Then at the very end of the Old Testament, Zechariah, we have this prophecy from chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Zion would be Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Here it is. Gentle and riding on a what? A donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Why the details of the donkey? So we understand that this Jesus riding on the donkey is the promised Savior, the one that God's people have been waiting for, the one that God has said, He's coming this one who will bring peace on earth. 
and all the details of Zechariah's prophecy from Jerusalem rejoicing to the king coming to righteousness and salvation being associated with this king to this king coming humble and gentle and riding on a donkey are all fulfilled in Christ coming that Sunday morning to Jerusalem. Now you think about it. Why, why a donkey? Why a donkey? How would you think the people of the first century would have expected a king to come? Would it not have been a king riding in on a stallion? Was not that the animal associated with the king? I mean, think about kings today. How would we expect them to drive into Madison? I think we'd expect them to be in a bulletproof Rolls Royce, wouldn't we? I mean, that, that's the stuff of a king, a Rolls. I don't know if this one's bulletproof, but that's a, that's a fine-looking car. That's a car fit for a king. We wouldn't expect a king come driving in some old jalopy found out in the back 40. Like that old 40, 1940 Ford pickup in the, in the background. I don't know what this front one is. But that's not what we expect. But Jesus comes in in the jalopy. He comes in on the donkey. Why? Not just because God's word said he would, but because God wanted us to understand this king is like no other king. He's not coming in on a stallion. He's coming in in humility on this Beast of bur- burden of beasts. He's coming in on this donkey, which, is a, which is, has no association with greatness. It's the commoner's animal for transporting things, not the stuff of greatness. He comes in humility like no other king. And so why the details? To help us understand that Jesus is that promised king. Why the details? To help us understand that we can trust God's word. That we can trust God and his word. What did Jesus say about the Old Testament and the prophecies? He says this in Matthew 5. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell the truth, tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Why the details? So that you and I will have confidence. And there's somebody here tonight that's going, I don't know. I don't know if this is God's word. I hear that you believe this is God's word. I'm not convinced. Well, I hope you'll be amazed in this, that thousands of years before Jesus came, Moses associated the coming king with a cult. Hundreds of years before Jesus came to this earth, Zechariah prophesied that he would come to Jerusalem riding on a colt. Jesus fulfilled the details so that we could have confidence in the scriptures. There are over 300 prophecies that are fulfilled by Christ or will soon be fulfilled by Christ when he comes again. Over 300. The laws of probability are staggering to figure out how that could possibly happen. Why all the details? Finally, so that you and I understand that God is in the details. He cares about the details, the details about what he's about and the details about 
your life and your world. I'll never forget the first time I learned this truth that God is in the details. It was a story that I heard my dad tell many times. The story of how they came to America. My dad, as a young man, had this dream. He was going to go to America, land of opportunity. When he met my mom, he said, just one thing you need to know, that if you marry me, you hitch this wagon, this wagon's going across the ocean to America. And my mom was thinking, yeah, 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 America, America, America. Pipe dreams, pipe dreams. Well, my dad was serious. When they got married, he had his first job in Basel. In Basel, he was working for this dental clinic, and the dental lab was part of this franchise that was headquartered in Chicago. And my dad's thinking, man, I'd like to go to Chicago. And he asked his boss, could you write to the people in Chicago and see if they'd hire me in Chicago? So his boss said, sure, sure, I'll do that, Henry, no problem. So my dad would go every couple of weeks. Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? No, I haven't heard anything. This went on for months when finally the secretary felt really bad for my dad, pulled him aside and said, Henry, he's never sent the letter and he's not going to. He's not going to. So my dad decided, well, if he's not going to do it, well, then I will. So he sends a letter only to find out that his boss sends a letter the same day to say, don't, don't hire this guy because I'm convinced he's going to come back and set up a competitive lab here in Basel. Well, my dad was not one to be deterred. He had a dream to go to America. So he, he hooks up with this lab in Toronto, Canada. He's got a job. Literally a week after my oldest sister is born, he's on a boat for Toronto. Six weeks later, my mother and my oldest sister, they meet him there. He arrives in Toronto. He's got a job. He's got no place to live. He finds a place. He's renting a room. It's a dump. He goes to the job the first day. The guy next to him says, how's your, how's your housing situation? My dad says, it's not very good. He says, you know what? We got an extra room in our house. Why don't you come live with us? So he goes and lives with this guy. This guy says, you know, I got a friend who comes here every Thursday night. He, he also is from Germany. This guy was from Germany. He says, he comes every Thursday night. We have dinner together. Why don't you join us for dinner? So he, he meets this guy over dinner, and the guy says to my dad, well, what do you do? I said, well, I, I'm, I'm a dental technician. He said, well, that's interesting. My brother-in-law is in that field. My brother-in-law comes through here like three, four times a year on business. In fact, he's coming really quick. And, and he, he works in a lab in Chicago. My dad said, what, what lab in Chicago? He says he works at Austinall Lab. He's the head of Austinall Lab. My dad said, you've got to be kidding me. A couple weeks later, there's a knock on the door. That man and his brother, the head of Chicago's Austinall Lab, the very man that my dad was writing and trying to get a job from him. He said, I got your letters. I'm, I was in a tough spot. I couldn't do anything. You don't work for that lab anymore. There's a job for you in Chicago if you want it. Are you talking about God not being in the details? Oh, my goodness. What are the chances? What are the chances that he would meet the guy's brother and have the very guy from Chicago knock on his door in Toronto and offer him a job? What a great God we have. He is a God that's in the, in the details. The psalmist said this from the very beginning. In Psalm 139, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. God knows where I am, where, where we are. You perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows what I'm thinking. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways, all that I do. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, the psalmist says. Oh, Lord. He knows what I'm going to say before I even say it. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. He knew me before I was born. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He knows everything about my life before I was even born. He is into the details, this God. Do you know that? The Bible says in Matthew 10, 30, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And looking out for some of us, there's less of God to know about our hair count. Redheads, you know, only have about 90,000. Did you know that? Redheads don't have as much. A blonde has up to 140,000. And the brunettes and the black hair is somewhere in between. God knows details of your life that you don't know. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He he knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows what you're thinking. He knows stuff that you need that you don't yet know you need. He's in the details. That's why there's seven verses about a cult. So we don't ever forget who this Jesus is. So we don't ever forget what this word is. It is God's trustworthy, true word so that we don't ever forget that the God who made us didn't wind up this clock and walk away and said, have at it, world, but he is intimately connected to this world and to your life. Every anxious thought, the result of that test you had this week, and you haven't got the results yet. He knows it. The balance on your credit card, the whereabouts of a loved one. He knows the condition of your relationships, the temperature of your body, your thoughts, your fears, your hopes, your dreams. He knows it all, and he cares about it. He cares about it. The implication here in Mark chapter 11 is Jesus took care of the details so that when he said to them, they may ask you, what are you doing taking this cult? Well, just tell them that the Lord has need of it. That that assumes a prior conversation, a prior relationship. Jesus is taking care of the details for you and for me as we follow him into Jerusalem that Sunday morning. I don't know what it is, that's that looming detail in your life right now. I don't know what it is, but it's like front and center. It's maybe that kind of thing that's made it hard for you to hear even a word I've said tonight. It's this huge thing in your life. He knows it. He's in the details. And he doesn't want us to miss in the details who his son is. He is the promised king. Well, when we recognize Jesus as the promised king, then the response we're to have is in part the response of the crowd, at least at first. The crowd who turns to him and shouts and prays, the crowd who, who shouts for deliverance, because that's what Hosanna means, save now, save now. So the crowd emerges, and, and John 12 tells us that the reason the crowd is buzzing with this Jesus talk, just like Madison was of Obama this last week. Man, there's a lot going on here this week. I mean, there's a buzz going on. And the buzz was, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead up in Bethany, and, and the people are talking about it. They're talking all about it. 
And what we have here in, in verses 8 through 12, and especially verse 9 in, in Mark 11, is a quotation from Psalm 118. Look it up on the screen. Oh, Lord, save us. Oh, Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That's what they were saying, because that was a song that the pilgrims would sing when they went up to Jerusalem for Passover. This was one of the songs. So they're singing what they normally would have sang, but now they're directing it to this one who they're recognizing is the king. How do we know they're recognizing him as a king? Because the religious leaders are ticked off and they say to Jesus, hey, 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 hey. They can't say that about you. You are not that. You're an imposter. Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Remember what Jesus said? Hey, if I tell them to shut up, guess what's going to happen? All the rocks are going to grow mouths and they're going to start singing. And they'll say it if these people don't say it. I've been down that road. Lori and I had a chance to go to Jerusalem. And that is such a cool setting. You're up on the Mount of Olives and you start going down this two-mile path. I think there's a slide here of what it looks like today. And the whole side of the Mount of Olives is just one massive cemetery. And there's roads going down. And one of the roads went down. It was just kind of like that setting that's going right for that east gate. And the setting here is that there's thousands of people coming out of Jerusalem, the temple area, coming out of the east gate, up this road, the road that went up to to Bethany where Jesus had been staying at Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house. And as they're coming up, they're singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're cutting down branches that they find out in the fields and they're laying down their, their cloaks before him, paving the way for this new coming king. Josephus, some 30 years later, will write about Passover in A.D. 66. And he says there's 2.7 million people in Jerusalem. Jesus is not sneaking into town because he's afraid of the religious leaders. Jesus is riding in on the colt, as the scriptures said, so that it would be known that he is the promised king. And the crowds gather around him, and the crowds get it right. They get it right when they say, Hosanna. Hosanna is not just a word that means praise God, hallelujah. It's a word that means save now. Save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. They understood that he is this promised king who's coming to establish this kingdom, but they didn't understand it well enough. But it's so great that Jesus never in the text says, hey, 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 this is all faint praise, you guys, because I know what you're going to say on Friday. I know what's going to happen. You're carried away with the crowd right now. You're saying things and you're speaking better than you know. But on Friday, your cheers of Hosanna are going to be traded in for crucify him. He doesn't say anything like that. And yet as you read the story, that's precisely what happens to many of these people 
who are caught up in the excitement of the crowd, who in a moment understand who Jesus is, but it's just a moment. It never lasts. How great that this king comes and never rebukes these people who one day will shout, in in five or six days will shout, crucify him. In fact, he goes into Jerusalem for those very people. They got it right, but for a moment. I wonder if that describes anybody here. That, that we got it right about who this Jesus is. But it's just kind of like for a moment. It's kind of like in that really hard time in my life. And, and I turned to him and I, and, I, and I responded to him. But you know what? I, I haven't done anything since. I haven't done anything since. God is saying to you and me, his son is the promised Savior. And the right response is to praise him. The right response is to ask him to deliver us, but to understand that Jesus had so much more than what the people had hoped for when they said, boy, we hope you're the coming king who's going to deliver us from Rome's tyranny. That he was going to come to deliver us for all eternity. Not just from this this enemy that seemed like it was going to reign for eternity, but he was going to redeem us for all eternity. And some of us with these pressing needs don't understand that God can not only meet that need, that big detail that he's all about, but that he can meet the details that we may not even know about. That our lives, apart from Christ, are destined for an eternity of separation from him. That's what the Bible calls hell. And that he came for so much more than just freeing us from the powers of this world. He came to establish peace in our hearts, to rule in our hearts, that we might know God and in knowing God, find our souls satisfied in him. This is a king. When you follow him, you will have no regrets because he's a king like no king. He's a king who comes to die for people who deserve death. He's a king that gives lasting peace and freedom and a reason for living. He's a king who came for you and me. Do you know him as the promised king? Are you following him, not just in a moment, but in the moments of your life? Let's pray. Open our eyes to see who you are. May a simple little donkey's colt lead us to a king. And may this king transform us like you did, Delena, from living life through a peephole to having life rich and free through your son. Lord, we would pray that none of us would be guilty of turning you into king of our own making. But may we understand who you are and no longer fight you, but gladly give you our allegiance and now help us to pick up our cross and follow you. We pray this in his name.